Hello, and we're about to read Judges chapter 4. But just before we do, I wanted to mention something that I probably should have mentioned in the Judges chapter 1 video. But one of the questions that people have about the whole book of Judges is who wrote it? And it's, it's an interesting question because there's nowhere in the book of Judges that says the name of the author. Like when you're in the early books of the Bible, you know, we, we figure out that Moses wrote them. <laughs> Maybe not the book of Genesis so much, but we, know, we can see it in the other books. But, and when you get to Joshua, you know, it's, it's clear that Joshua had a strong involvement, but, but the book of Judges is spread over 350 years or so. Who wrote all that? Where did that history come from? And along with that, who wrote the, the last part of the book of Joshua, the last half a chapter, which records Joshua's death? Who wrote that? He obviously didn't write that. Well, the answer to all of this is, is the prophet Samuel. We're not going to get to Samuel for about uh, three to four weeks. But Samuel, um, he lives about um, 350 years after this, you know, the period of Judges is about 350 years and that's when Samuel lives. So Samuel's writing down things that he wasn't personally there for, but things that were known, things that were known to have happened and he records them. So that's a, a, something that I did want to explain and I had forgotten to do that in Judges chapter one. So, better late than never. Anyway, let's now read Judges chapter 4. The children of Israel again did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight. When Ahud was dead, Yahweh sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned at Hatsor, the captain of whose army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth of the Gentiles. The children of Israel cried to Yahweh, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he mightily oppressed the children of Israel for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapido, judged Israel at the time. She lived under Deborah's palm tree between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Hasn't Yahweh the God of Israel commanded, Go and lead the way to Mount Tabor, and take with you ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun? I will draw to you, to the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the journey that you take won't be for your honour, for Yahweh will sell Sisera into a woman's hand. Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together to Kadesh. Ten thousand men followed him, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated himself from the Kenites, even from the children of Hobab. Moses' brother-in-law, and had pitched his tent as far as the oak in Zananim, which is by Kadesh. They told Sisera that Barak the son of Abinam was gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him, from Harasheth of the Gentiles to the river Kishon. Deborah said to Barak, Go, for this is the day which Yahweh has delivered Sisera into your hand. Hasn't Yahweh gone out before you? 
So Barak went down from Mount Tabor and 10,000 men with him. Yahweh confused Sisera, all his chariots and all his army, with the edge of the sword before Barak. Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled away on his feet. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth of the Gentiles. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. There was not a man left. However, Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hutzor and the house of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, don't be afraid. He came into her into the tent and she covered him with a rug. He said to her, Please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. She opened a container of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. He said to her, Stand in the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, Is there any man here? You shall say no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and, a, and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and struck the pin into his temples and it pierced through into the ground, for he was in a deep sleep. So he fainted and died. Behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. He came to her, and behold, Sisera lay dead, and the tent peg was in his temples. So God subdued Jabin the king of Canaan before the children of Israel on that day. The hand of the children of Israel prevailed more and more against Jabin the king of Canaan until they had destroyed Chabin, Jabin the king of Canaan. Well, there's lots of things you can say about this chapter. And um, the, the judge here is Deborah. This is the only female judge, and she's a real judge. And what I mean by that is she's an actual judicial judge. Like it mentioned there that, excuse me, it mentioned there that she would sit under the palm of Deborah. You know, there was a place that she used to sit, and people would come to her to have matters decided. So she wasn't only just a leader in the sense of being a leader, but she also was judicial. And um, Probably all the judges were a bit like that, but it's just specifically said about Deborah that she was like that. And so Deborah's the judge, but Barak is the man who leads the army. Deborah doesn't actually fight, but she goes with the army to the fight. Now, in the um, in Judges chapter four, the you know the the what do you call it? Is it the antagonist? The person who's oppressing the Israelites is Jabin, the king of Hatzor. Hatzor is spelled H-A-Z-O-R. Um, even though it sounds like H-A-T-S-O-R, it's Hatsor with a Z. And Jabin is, is um, he's mentioned in the book of Joshua. In chapter 11, they defeat a Jabin there as well. And some people thought that the two stories are mixed up and it's the same story, but it's not. There's like 200 years between these two stories. Now I know because I did a table up. I went through the whole book of Judges and I wrote down all the years I worked out a, a table, I did all the maths, and there's about 200 years between these two Jabins. They're two different Jabins. And some people have thought that was a bit coincidental that there's two people called Jabin. But the truth is, it's not a name, it's a title. You know, all the way through the Bible, it keeps mentioning Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It's not the same Pharaoh. Pharaoh there's lots of different Pharaohs that get mentioned. It's a title. And so Jabin here, king of Hatzor, it's a title. So this is a different king to the one that was in Joshua chapter 11. So in this passage, you know, he's oppressing the Israelites. 
But Deborah says to Barak that the Lord is commanding you to go to this certain spot near Mount Tabor, and there you're going to attack the enemy. So the Lord actually determined the place where the battle was going to happen. And so when um, Barak goes there and takes his 10,000 soldiers, that's where Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, goes to fight them. So they're fighting at a place that God has chosen. I think that's very, very interesting, and it's important for how the battle turns out. And um, we'll get to that in just a second. But, but Barak says to Deborah, he says, um, if you go with me, I will go. But if you do not go, I will not go. And this one phrase or sentence, there's been lots of things said about it. <laughs> Some people have said, oh, he was a wuss. You know, he didn't want to take responsibility. You know, and they, they've used this to, to run down Barak. Some people have said that, you know, uh, God had to use a woman because a man didn't want to do the job. And they've made all these points about that. I think all these different things, it's just conjecture. I think it's all meaningless. I think, to me, it's really obvious that Deborah was the Lord's chosen person. There are, there's not very many of them, but there are several times through the Bible where the Lord chooses a woman who's the right person for the right time, and he's really with them. He really works through them. And Barak, he knows that. He knows the Lord is with her and he doesn't want to go into the battle unless she's there because he, I guess he knows the Lord is there when she's there. And to me, that just makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I wouldn't want to go anywhere without the Lord either. And he just sees that the Lord is with her. So I think I look at it more positively than some of the different things that get said about this. But then again, her reply is that uh, because you did that, you know, the honor will not be yours. And I also think there's a lesson in that too, that we shouldn't go into battle, in other words, go into prayer to overcome seeking our own honour. You know, our, our objective should be to go into anything the Lord wants us to do, to do it with the Lord with us. That should be our goal. And who gets honoured isn't, isn't or shouldn't be a consideration. And um, so the Lord uh, sent Barak, Deborah went with him and the 10,000 soldiers and they went to Mount Tabor. Now Mount Tabor is, a, is in the northern half of Israel and um, the Kishon River is where the battle took place and the Kishon River is normally, at least what I've read, is normally a kind of a, a creekish thing with not a great deal of water in it normally. But it, if it rains a lot, that can turn into a flash flood. So you can have a lot of water come down off Mount Tamor in a table in a short period of time if it rains. Now this chapter doesn't tell us how the battle ended, what happened. It just says that Cicero got thrown into confusion. However, Josephus the historian tells us what happens in this battle. And also, when we read the next chapter, chapter 5, which we'll read tomorrow, we get clues that show us that Josephus was right. Because tomorrow, it's the song of Deborah. So De after the battle is all over, Deborah sings this song of praise to the Lord. And in her song, she mentions things which don't give us a clear answer. Like on the, if it was just on its own, you wouldn't realize the full story. But when you see what Josephus has written about how the battle happened, and then you look at Deborah's song, you realize, wow, it's exactly like what Josephus said. So this is what happened. Sisera arrives at the location for the battle which remember is where the Lord chose. The Lord told 
Barrack to go to this spot. So they're, they're, they're gonna fight each other on this plain that's near Mount Tabor and it's near the Kishon River. And what happens is that Sisera comes with 900 iron chariots. So these chariots are heavy because they're made of iron. And now this is the you know period of history where uh, it's the Iron Age and they're just learning how to make things with iron. And uh, these chariots, you know, they were considered a great thing. <laughs> I've thought about this and I've, even, I've Googled it and I've read what other people have had to say and they agree with me that chariots are not as good an advantage as what they all thought back then. Now, of course, we're not there. We don't know exactly how chariots were an advantage. In my mind, I thought it'd be just far more advantageous to, to be on a horse. If you just want speed to get into the battle, just ride a horse, that's quicker. But no, they had chariots and they had 900 of them made of iron, they were very heavy. And these things would be pulled by several horses, usually two. But, and then they would, um, in the back of them, there'd be several, there'd be the rider, sometimes there'd be archers, there'd be other people. And the idea was that with these chariots, you could get into the battle quick, you could get around quick. So there was a speed advantage. But of course, yeah, there was also the disadvantage of the fact they were heavy. And you had the disadvantage of the fact that you had to train the horses and all of that as well. Anyway, what happened was they're in this location near Mount Tabor and it begins to rain. The Lord opens the heavens with a thunderclap. The clouds, you know, they part. Down comes the rain. That Keyshot River, which normally doesn't have much water in it, it flash floods. It floods the plain with water. It turns to, to mud and the chariots bog down. So you've got 900 iron chariots that suddenly cannot move. So they're designed to give the, the army speed and mobility, but instead they take away their mobility completely. So now you've got people jumping out of chariots, they're trying to run on foot. Um, it, it's complete chaos. And so um, Barak overcomes them. And, um, and then we read what happened to the general of the army, Sisera. He escaped on foot. He went into the tent of Jael and she put a tent peg through his head. Much, much later in the Apocrypha, the Catholic Bible, they've got some extra books that, um, that, that, that are not, not considered canonical by the rest of, rest of Christianity. But in these apocryphal books, there's a book called Judith, and there's a story very, very similar to this one about uh, the killing of General Sisera. There's a woman called Judith who kills King Holofernes by chopping off his head in his own tent. It's a very, very interesting book. When we get through all the Bible chapters in, in three and a half years, I'm going to then proceed to go through the apocryphal books at that point. We don't consider them to be Holy Scripture, but they cover those intervening 400 years between the Old and the New Testaments, and they're full of history and lots of interesting things in them. And they're definitely worth studying, but just not on the same level as Scripture. So the grisly death of Sisera here, it does remind me of what happens later with Judith. And um, it's... it's uh, <laughs> It would be a very humiliating way to die for him. And what Deborah said to Barak was true, that he would not get the honor of the defeat, and the honor went to Jael. So once again, uh, the, um, you know, the Lord delivered them. And if we get to the end of chapter 5, we will tomorrow, it says that the land had rest for 40 years. There's that 40 again, which we talked about in the last chapter. The number of testing. So it's during the time of peace, but that's when the test really happens. The test to see, will you still follow the Lord when things are going okay? So Lord, we, we, um, 
I thank you for Deborah, such a strong woman of the Lord, so faithful, who knew the Lord's voice, who knew what to do. And I pray, Lord, that you'd raise up many strong women like Deborah and uh, with courage and boldness who know the voice of the Lord. And I also pray that you'd raise up strong men as well. Um, and Lord, fill the body of Christ with strong people that we might overcome our enemies, that we might walk in righteousness and um, that there might be peace. But also, Lord, during the time of peace, help us to keep walking with the Lord. So I thank you for these stories in the scripture, and I pray that you would strengthen your people. In Jesus' name, amen.